whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Fellas, it's exciting to be back together again, going through problem passages of the Bible. JJ, Sam, Michael, myself, Tim. So we've been going through problem passages and also problem topics. And I'd say this is more of a problem topic than a particular passage, even though we'll be looking at a bunch of different passages. I'm going to throw out one passage, and then I think we need to dive in and beat each other up a little How bit. How big of a problem this. is this? You know, it, it's, a, it's a big problem. It's caused a lot of issues in the church. You hear of it on the news. But then also, I think it's one of those secret problems where maybe Christians will hold to a lot of things, but on this one be like, geez, I don't know. I hope it's not the way that the Bible says it is. Anticipation is building. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm at Matthew 25, 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And the way I think about this is my grandmother, if she does not know Jesus, uh, you know, the Bible clearly teaches, if it is clearly teaching here, that without Jesus, she's going to not only go to hell, but experience an eternal punishment, an eternal fire, an et- eternal suffering. And, uh, you know, I love my grandmother. And so as I'm, as I'm wrestling with this and I'm trying to, to realize what is going on here with the Bible, truly is there eternal punishment or is the Bible maybe saying something else? And there are other things, right? So, Sam, when you read Matthew 25, 46, what are ways that you read it? And then what are some ways that other people may read this passage? Yeah, it's a big question, and it, it is a huge issue in the church. Um, it, it's a huge issue outside the church. I think it's one of the reasons why, at least it's one of the excuses people give for staying away from Christianity because they say, how can you believe in a God who would consign people to eternal condemnation and conscious punishment forever and ever and ever, never ending? And to sing songs that he's good yeah. and he's all loving and to say, you know, what if it doesn't seem like God is better than me, because if I was God, I would not have people suffer forever. Before Sam says that, what is the one sentence problem here? I th- the, the one sentence problem that we're dealing with, I would say, is does God punish people forever? Or potentially, I think the road that we're going to walk down is, does God annihilate people? So once people get to hell, are they potentially in hell for a while? And then they just cease to exist. So the, the bigger problem would be eternal punishment though, right? Yeah. Right. Do, are, are people eternally punished? Well, it's, if we can kind of traffic on this word, is it the punishment that is eternal in the sense that it is never reversed? Or is the punishing eternal in the sense that it goes on forever in the conscious experience of the individual? Because a lot of people, and let's be honest, some really wonderful evangelical Christians, uh, John Stott would be a good example, Uh, Philip Edgecombe Hughes, one of the great New Testament commentators, uh, amidst many, many others are arguing that uh, human beings who leave this life without Christ uh, will suffer proportionately and appropriately 
to the nature of their sin, and when that is accomplished, God will basically annihilate them, as you said, Tim. They will cease to exist. Um, the other view, the more traditional evangelical view, is that um, hell is an eternal, unending, conscious torment um, that never ceases. And, I mean, let's be honest. When you try to wrap your mind around that, mm-hmm. it is unsettling. It is disturbing. Uh, that is why I think you have so many people who just either they don't want to think about it or, um, uh, or, they, or they end up embracing annihilationism. Okay, well, can we, can we set up a little boundary? Because what you've talked about is eternal punishment or annihilationism. Now, there are some views within evangel—or not evangelicalism, I would say. There are views within Christianity where people say there is no hell. Right. And, and what, what we would say, I think all four of us would agree. The universalism. Table. Yeah, a universalism. And some people would, would say it in a way where you'd say the death of Jesus on the cross was of such glorious magnitude that when he said it is finished, that he truly paid for the sins of every single human being. And so if he paid for the sins of every single human being, then people are no longer responsible for those sins. Therefore, uh, there is no hell where people will forever, where human beings will forever be in eternal punishment because of the death of Jesus on the cross of being such glorious magnitude. And a guy like Rob Hell, Rob, Rob Hell, Rob, <laughs> uh, Rob, Rob, Rob Bell uh, would be a guy that was good. That was good. It's almost like I planned to say that. Uh, he would be a guy that would say that. And, and what I think one kind of rules that we put out is that that view has been rejected by people saying that that is not a biblically faithful view. Uh, are you guys with me on that? Are you agreeing with yeah, me? And yeah. so, but, but the view of annihilationism has been a view that you could say, okay, you could be a Christian and hold to the Bible and hold to that view. So a guy like John Stott. Which is more accepted within evangelical circles. I mean, yeah. but I think we all would agree that the traditional view that hell is eternal conscious suffering is uh, ha- has been held throughout the majority of church history. But like Sam said, I, I think it's so important for us to pause with our listeners yeah. and, and, and I guess in a pastoral way or just a human way to talk once again about how difficult this is. I yeah. mean, because it is what, you know, you, you think about it and you can't really think about it for too long because it does become very, very disturbing. Mm. And it's a very difficult doctrine not only to wrap your mind around, but to ask the question of why, God, why would you, if you love somebody, let this happen? And I've been disturbed about this many, many times. And I understand whenever people look at Christianity and they, they see all the pieces of the puzzle and then they see this piece and they just say, wow, you know, is this something I really have to accept that that my my father, who never became a Christian, you're saying that he is going to be in hell for all eternity yeah. and his suffering will never cease. And I think what's hard, too, is you think to yourself, how can I enjoy heaven? Like mm. 10,000 mm. years from now, when I have spent 9,900 and however many years in heaven enjoying the splendors of heaven and my king— how can I not feel guilty? You know, how could you not have survivor guilt? Like, how can heaven feel like heaven? Like, wouldn't it seem like heaven would feel like hell when you know the people yeah. you love aren't there? Or will the will the horrors of hell spoil the happiness of heaven? Is yeah. basically the question. Yeah. yeah, it's a very real question. Jonathan Edwards actually preached several sermons seeking to answer that question because it is a it's a very pressing one. Yeah, and and, and one of the things we're trying to say is you know. 
because I've heard people say this before, this is an easy doctrine. You know, the Bible says that I accept that's it, you know, and I think that's very, that, that's very difficult for more and more a postmodern world to, who is wrestling with these things, I think, in a different way to accept. Well, we have to remember there's a context here. Here in postmodernity, people are learning to uh, be more humble in the way they hold their views, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good aspect of postmodernity. Yeah. Yeah. There may have been times in modern evangelicalism where we've been almost flippant or trite in the way we've said, you know, the Bible preaches it, I believe it, that settles it. You know, and, yeah. and, and, and that can cause people to misunderstand the weightiness of this doctrine. And there's great biblical precedent for not talking that in a flippant way about it. You know, I yeah. think of Romans 9.1. Uh, Paul gives us the model where, where he says, as I think about my brothers who are rejecting Christ, my Jewish brothers, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So there's a theological framework there. And even God himself in a Ezekiel 33, he says, why would, why would you die? Turn back and live. I don't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Don't mm-hmm. you guys understand that? You yeah. think I'm up here cackling? And, and I'm going to say something that Sam is going to say I disagree with because these are the things he always disagrees with. But Am I locked into he'll act the only like one radical yeah. and, you know, We've shut me down later Sam, on? Sam, we have pigeonholed you. We, right. we figured you out, brother. All right, give it to me. Give it to me. I, I would say that if there's one doctrine in the Bible that if I could, you know, you pick and choose, it's a smorgasbord, this is one that I would not pick out of, of the lineup. And, I, and you're assuming that Sam's going to say, no, this is the first one I would choose. No, no, Sam, Sam will turn around and say it's, it's the best doctrine or something like that no, later no, on. No, honestly, Michael, I was thinking to say, of saying something very similar. Here it is. On the one hand, I agree with you. On the one hand, there's going to be a but. <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the one hand, this is a very unsettling, disturbing reality when you contemplate the nature of eternity. I mean, we're talking yeah. about eternity, which I mean, we can't even understand. We can't that. even grasp yeah. that, and no mitigation, no diminishing, no lessening of the intensity of the suffering of those who are in hell. If that doesn't cause a human heart to pause. And, and reflect, then, then there's something wrong with you. Now, here's on the other hand. On the other hand, I want my heart and my mind to be aligned with God's. I, we're supposed to love the things that God loves. We're supposed to see all that he does and rejoice in it and celebrate it as good and right and true. And so if, in fact, the Bible teaches eternal conscious punishment, that is something that is an expression of God's will. It's an expression of his holiness and of his justice. And ought we not to align our hearts with that? And, and I think along these lines of uh, Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, you have these choruses of praise by the saints in heaven yeah. shouting, Hallelujah, the judgments of our God are right and true. Yeah. And evidently seeing life and sin and the majesty and the glory of God from the perspective that God has in his presence, the concept of the suffering of those who are in hell does not strike them as reprehensible. But it's the same thing. J.J. JJ had the verse earlier that says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So aligning yourself emotionally with such a thing and 
and understanding the righteousness of it and why it takes place is one thing. But here, here's what I would say, and I think this is really important for, for our listeners to understand, is that I don't think any of us here want the Bible to teach this. It's not like we're trying to read it into the Bible. It's not as if if we could find that everybody made it to heaven, we would say, oh, man, that stinks. You know, I, I was hoping it would be something different. Because the, the, whenever you look at Scripture in such a way, it is it is something we have. Whenever you whenever you do come to these conclusions, it is it is not an easy conclusion to come to. It is not just because tradition says it. I've read and read and read the scriptures trying to find loophole or some way out of it, and I I don't find that. Yeah. And so whenever I accept it, it's not because I want to or I'm emotionally inclined towards it or you know, humanity goes in that direction. Maybe yeah. this, is a, this is a good stage. I mean, I know we've got text we want to read and yeah. talk about, but here's the question that just eats away at me that, and I think that people need to understand. And that is we need to answer the question about the justice of eternal conscious punishment on what grounds yeah. – are we going to affirm that this is true? Because a lot of people will say things like, well, how can God punish infinitely finite sin? In other words, why would he require people to suffer for eternity sins committed within, what, 75, 80-year span of a person's life on earth? Isn't that unjust? Isn't that disproportionate? And, and I bet you and I are going to disagree on this one. Well, here, here's my my thought on this. And You're again, I am for a fight. I, I am. <laughs> I got to find someone. Uh, and I am greatly influenced by Jonathan Edwards here. Um, Which that's like his trump card to tell you. Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it! I, I am so deflated. Hey, now. I disagree with Edwards on some issues. Yeah. So let's make well, he's not infallible. I've been heavily influenced by Paul on this issue. <laughs> just to let you know. Oh, I, I, I've been heavily right. influenced by Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I have nothing more to say. <laughs> I've been trumped. <laughs> Edwards' point was this: <clears throat> the the gravity of human sin is not determined by how long one sins, but by the standard of glory and majesty and beauty against which one sins. So we we aren't to look at, okay, a person lives 80 years, they compile a lifetime of sin. Does that really justify and warrant an eternity of punishment? No, that's the wrong perspective. The perspective is against whom were those sins committed? And once you have a grasp of the Mm -hmm. infinity of God, you realize the, the magnitude of even the slightest transgression and rebellion and unbelief and disdain that comes from the human heart. So I think I'm going to disagree with you, but I'm going to listen to what you have to well, say. Well, can, can I yeah. offer an illustration sure. and you sure. let me know if this is a correct well, Wait a minute. Before we go to this, because that's kind of the ending thing of no, why. Oh, let's go, let's get to the what and say... Right? Well, no. The, the what of the illustration would be... So what, what you're offering here is that uh, let's say you hear that someone went up and slapped my wife. And then when they slapped my wife, they got the death penalty. And you might say, man, who was that crazy right. judge? That's disproportionate that, to the offense. The yeah. punishment is disproportionate to the offense committed. But but what you're saying is the other response could be, wow, what what's the deal with Tim's wife? Like, why is she of such amazing magnitude that a death penalty would be an appropriate, just let me, response? L- let, me, let me jump on this. <clears throat> Let's say if uh, somebody goes up and slaps your wife, um, they are assessed a penalty, and they have to serve 30 days 
in the county jail. You say, uh, assault, yeah, that, that, that seems fitting. What if somebody uh, attempts to kill the President of the United States? Uh, the sentence for that, because of the nature and the dignity and the power of the office, is far greater. Yeah. But we're talking about an assault against the infinitely glorious, infinitely holy, infinitely beautiful God. How do you put a limit on the punishment of somebody who, throughout the course of their life, <clears throat> has insulted and has rebelled against and thumbed their nose toward this glorious God? Does well, that not change our perspective so here's the pushback though but well, is, guys, is, well, guys we're starting with the assumption that this is right is that where we're going to go with this is assume that it's right and then move to the illustrate because we we won't the, our audience is probably saying what about annihilationism and yeah we'll, we'll get to annihilationism i think yeah. sam's point was a good one he was saying uh, oh, the justice on. or injustice of this particular viewpoint if we believe the bible holds it that's big you know it's a it's difficult to, to try to hold a belief that you feel is inherently unjust. Okay, well, here, here's what I think is going to make Michael happy, though, is that when I think of my grandmother, I don't think of someone that was committing that type of crime. I don't think of someone, I think of someone who ignorantly, potentially, they were not doing it out of a maliceness based on my observation. Now, you can push back and say, no, they are a wretched sinner. You know, but when I look at my grandmother, I say, Man, uh, she did not come to Jesus, but she was a very moral woman that did a lot of good things to me. And I don't see her committing the type of crime against God that would warrant such eternal well, punishment. Well, that raises <clears throat> that raises another issue. We're not saying that everybody suffers equally yeah. uh, in hell. That, so are you saying that maybe hell is not eternal for some people? No, I think it is. But I think the nature of the punishment and the suffering they endure there is proportionate to the sin that they committed. Uh, I don't think... I hate, I hate to be citing your grandmother, but um, <laughs> well, jo just, just to let you know, I think both of my grandmothers are going to be in heaven. Well, so great. a little bit, but, but I, have other I, family I would not members. compare. I would not say that what Joseph Stalin will endure uh, in hell is equivalent to what your uh, praise God, hopefully and prayerfully, your grandmother yeah. will never well, be there. And we all have family members that have passed have away, passed away without Jesus. So. That's right. But but here's the thing, though. Don't you think it's still hell for them? You know, so yes. even if you say it's not as bad as Stalin, but it seems like they're still weeping and gnashing of teeth, yes. right? Yes. And it's an eternal punishment. Okay, yes. I'm gonna have to jump in on this one now. Okay. Yeah. Now, You're just you just want a fight, so let's No, no, uh, I don't want to fight. I, I think that there's a different a, a different perspective that we can take here as to why is hell eternal. And I think one of the questions that might be brought up as an illustration is is if Christ, we, I believe in what's called penal substitution, substitutionary atonement, that Christ actually took our sins uh, upon himself on the cross. He didn't take the concept of sin on the cross and die for it, but our individual sins, and, and he died for me. Uh, he gave himself up for me. And I asked the question, okay, if he gave himself up for me, what, did he, what was the substitution? What was I supposed to have? Well, I'm supposed to have eternal uh, time in hell, but Christ doesn't have this eternal time in hell. Uh, it doesn't seem like the right substitution. It, it's like, okay, wait a minute, how come he, he got off of just a few hours on the cross? And then you add up the countless millions and millions of people who he did die for, and then you say, why isn't he in hell for all eternity with multiple life sentences? Or why couldn't someone I love just go on a cross for three hours? That's right. That's right. As well. And I think the, the, there's some mystery to it, but I think that whenever you talk about the, the nature of hell and the why of hell is eternal, for me at least, I see it as something that 
whenever people are in hell, they are actually paying for their sins. There's a penal justice that is being done, as Sam said. Uh, Stalin pays more than grandma. But it's not as if once they get to hell, all of a sudden they become sanctified and they're no longer sinners or they're no longer in rebellion against God. But it's that God leaves them in their state of rebellion and, and leaves it at that. They're, they are eternally shaking their fist at God saying, right. I hate you and I, 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 I don't want to be with you. It's not as if they're saying, God, I, I, I love you so much now and, and I want to be with you. They recognize him as Lord in hell, bow their knee, but still have their fist shaking at him. And that's the reason why I would say hell is eternal, not so much because one sin is eternally offensive to an eternal God. And he's just, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we've got to elevate our thinking towards, which could be correct. But I would say it seems, makes more sense that they're eternally in Adam. They're eternally in their right. sins where Christ was not in Adam uh, as uh, he didn't have Adam's sin imputed to him. Well, and for our listeners, uh, you don't have to choose between these two things. I, uh, I would probably say, uh, Sam and I would say that you could have both what you just pointed out and what, what Sam pointed out. Um, it's, you know, you're to so, summarize... You're so postmodern. To summarize what you're saying, there's a sense in which we're making assumptions that they're sort of being rehabilitated in hell, yeah. as though someone were... Um, not racking up any demerits while in the prison system and, and you know, showing themselves to be a potential parolee. Um, and so you raise a great point. Who's to assume that people in hell are repenting? Who's to assume that people in hell are saying, oh, I wish God would give me another chance or, man, heaven sounds great. I wish I was with Jesus. You know, who's yeah. to say that their hatred and rejection of him isn't actually intensifying? Would you, would Suffering you, in hell is eternal because sinning in hell is eternal. Would but, you say that's why in Luke 16, where with the rich man Lazarus, that the rich man doesn't ask to go to heaven. He just asks to have some comfort because he's not seeking to get out of there, but he's, he is seeking for other people not come there, but he's, he's seeking for comfort, not for getting into a Jesus-centered place that's heaven. Well, we don't want to make it a proof text, but it's definitely a telling passage. He doesn't seem to change much from who he was on earth. And, and some readers of the text have noticed that he, he even has a, still a hierarchical approach to himself and Lazarus where mm-hmm. he's still trying to boss yeah. Lazarus around you know, yeah. the other side of eternity. Hey, tell Lazarus to come bring me something. Yeah. Let, me, let me come back to Michael's point. I, I, I think I agree with you, Michael, believe it or not. I think it's a both <laughs> and, though. I do think that we have lost a sense of the gravity, the weight, the horror of even a single solitary act of cosmic treason against an infinitely beautiful and holy God. We have diminished the reality of our sin. We have lowered the holiness of God. So it hell, the concept seems unjust and disproportionate to us. And I think that itself is a reflection of our depravity. That itself is an indication of what we really do deserve, that we can't grasp the magnitude of God's greatness and the obedience that we owe him. But you're also right I think we need to remember that there's no indication that those in hell are repentant or that they're convicted or that they're crying out to God for mercy and asking to be released. Mm -hmm. I think they are only intensified and aggravated in their hatred of him and their their, uh, refusal uh, to to, uh, embrace him. And then one final thing about Jesus. Let's remember, we never measure the, the, the nature of Christ's sufferings by quantitative terms. Well, he only he suffered three hours. How does that compensate for an eternity? It's the quality of his sufferings because of his person, the dignity of who he was. 
he was able to endure in those short three hours an eternity of hell because of who he was, not how long he hung on the cross. Oh, that's that's really good. So, okay, John Stott is at the table, if he were, and he said, fellas, you know, I appreciate what you guys have been talking about, but uh, you guys just, you could have foregone a lot of this agony by the idea that God's last act of his justice and of his uh, wrath is to just annihilate people. Because hell's made for Satan and the demons, uh, eternally he will annihilate these people. So so all four of us I know uh, do not embrace annihilationism. So why do you not embrace it? Well, first of all, because of some text in Scripture, I would encourage our listeners, we don't have time, but they ought to turn to Revelation chapter 14 and read verses 9 through 11 which is the most explicit description of eternal conscious punishment we have in the Bible. It's Revelation 14, 9 through 11. And also because it seems to me, Tim, that if, in fact, somebody, according to the principles of divine justice, uh, has, has paid the fullness of their debt, in other words, to the point where God could finally annihilate them, why then would he not bring them into heaven? Why would he not restore them to fellowship with himself if the justice that they deserved has been fully meted yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, Matthew twenty-five forty-six uh, is clear there too. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And I think there, you know, if you think, well, the eternal punishment doesn't isn't really eternal, then I think you start wondering, is the eternal life? really not eternal too because if the juxtaposition there is some go to eternal punishment some go to eternal life and you're like well no he's really kidding about the eternal punishment part then it's like well maybe heaven will really only last 100 years and he'll annihilate us too nor being metaphorical about the eternal punishment part yeah. but so michael wrap it up well i mean the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night i mean they have no rest there, that 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 alone is a, is a big deal to tag onto this because you may say, well, it's it, they will ultimately get rest, but this this just I don't think it could be much more explicit in the combination of phrases that are used here um, about the the terrible torment that is going on in hell. Even though these are specific to worshipers of the beast and his image, I think later on it shows how this applies to everyone in Revelation. And let's just make it clear, we say that with broken hearts. Great sorrow and unceasing anguish. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House, a theological hub and coffee shop located at 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma. For more information on the Credo House or to support the ongoing work of its theological ministry, please visit www.credohouse.org.